0: Rampant. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Rampant Rundown, a socio-political podcast hosted by Glasgow's best political queen, me, Lady Rampant, the queen with red hair. <laughs> Thank you so much everyone who tuned in to our episode last week on Black Lives Matter. If you haven't listened yet, then don't worry, it is still up and it's staying up. <laughs> so you can go and listen and find out some ways right now to continue supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. As always, you can find a new episode of the Rampant Rundown every Wednesday evening at 5pm on all good places that podcasts are found. Um, So anyways, what's happening in the world right now? Um, no much, obviously. But uh, what do we make of this latest Tory shambles that's uh, doing the rounds? It's the poster with, you know, the ballerina on it that says uh, Fatima's next job could be in cyber. She just doesn't know it yet. Rethink, reskill, reboot. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is an old poster. I think it is. I think it was used in 2019. But I still think it's funny. It's really baffling. And of course, I'm not laughing at Fatima. It is genuinely, like a Said it's baffling that somebody thought that that was a good idea and that that was good marketing. Uh, well, I'm sure that Arsenal's out the door now because I'll tell you for nothing, it's terrible marketing. <laughs> but jokes aside, to be honest, the Tories uh, they really have shafted the arts industry right now. It's truly disgusting. Um, especially, i seen an article the other day that said that the arts industry actually brings around £10.8 billion a year into the US uh, U.S. into the U.K. economy, into our economy, but they've uh, they've left us hung out to dry. So it's bloody shocking. I did see a tweet actually by uh, Sky News that said that Hackney Borough Council had been uh, hit by a serious cyber attack, and uh, Jenny Godley, one of my favourite Scottish comedians, quoted it, and she said, "Gone yourself, Fatima. That would teach them for taking the ballet shoes off you." <laughs> I bloody love her. She is so funny. Anyways, this week we will be discussing intersectional feminism. One of my favourite topics. And of course, what are we here to do at the Rampant Rundown? We are here to highlight. We are here to amplify. And we are here to signpost you around the world in 80 days. <laughs> I'm trying to say something different each week with that wee line, but I'm running out of the ideas. Anyway, in section one, I will highlight what intersectional feminism is, why it's important, And uh, because we like looking at things through an LGBTQ plus lens here in the Rampant and Rundown, we will also be looking at intersectional feminism for transgender women. In section two, I will have a one-to-one interview with this week's very special guest, who is the Gender Equality Officer at the SRC University of Glasgow. How fabulous, I can't wait to speak to her. And of course, in section three, we will be signposting you towards charities and services and organisations that you can continue to support or start to support and become involved in right now. We will also be giving details in section three, how you can be a more intersectional feminist yourself so don't forget to tune in at the end of the episode and uh, just an FYI as well for this week's episode um, which I like to do at the beginning of these kind of episodes is just to say at the outset that um, as a cis male passing person I do not speak on behalf of those who identify as women or indeed um, try to understand their experiences or to say that I have lived their experiences Um, And understand that because I truly have not, um, and I probably will never do so. Um, I do speak from a place of privilege, but I genuinely want to use my privilege and the platform that I have with drag and with the podcast as well to highlight some issues surrounding intersectional feminism. Because I am a staunch feminist myself, and we should all be feminists. Let's face it, there's no excuse not to be. And we should be intersectional feminists at that. Anyways, sit back, get yourself a wee drink, I've got my Robinsons diluting juice, (laughs) I'm still recovering from an operation, so I'm not allowed to drink unfortunately, but that doesn't mean you can, eh? So sit back and enjoy the episode. So I want to start then by looking at, what is feminism? Well, in its purest form, of course, feminism is believing in equal rights for those who identify as women. Anybody can be a feminist, you can be male, you can be female, you can be a man, you can be a woman, you can be non-binary, you can be genderqueer, anyone at all can be a feminist. But feminism is believing in equal rights for women. Feminism is striving for, of course, social, political and economic equality of women in society. Um, Feminism, of course, it largely originated in the Western world, but it is now manifested worldwide, people across the world. Um are feminists they are committed to the feminist cause albeit uh, to different degrees and to different extents across the world because like i said it was mostly uh originated in the west but we now have international organizations of course like un women who advocate for the impairment of women's rights across the globe which is just fantastic this didn't exist 100 years ago of course um Now, just when I'm saying 100 years ago, a wee bit of history, because I love a wee bit of history. Um, It was one of my favourite subjects in school. Actually, I did advanced higher as uh, the wee geek that I am. Nothing wrong with being geeky, by the way. But uh, back to feminism and feminism throughout history... um, It has been described in waves. And these waves, of course, have came in chronological order uh, throughout recent history. Now, some scholars and feminists criticise these waves as being misleading. And I must say that I do agree to some extent. uh, Because feminism is an ongoing commitment. It's not something that sort of peaks and retreats. Uh, Peaks and retreats. I'll try that again. (laughs) Third time. Peaks and retreats. Um... Feminism doesn't do that. Feminism is an ongoing commitment. It's constant. Um, it doesn't sleep. And the wave sort of, in my opinion, suggests periods throughout history where feminist action has perhaps been maybe more mobilised or more visible in time. But it doesn't mean that the periods between the waves have been silent and that feminism hasn't been taking place because that would be misleading. But anyway, first wave feminism was largely concerned then with legal equality for women. And in particular, of course, votes for women, women's... Uh, the legal vote for women uh, and the suffragettes that you will have heard of, of course, which took place in the late 19th century and 20th century. Second wave feminism then took place in the 60s and 70s, which refers to the women's liberation movement uh, for equal legal, but also social rights. And that's where we see generally then that the second wave feminism was a more social wave of feminism that focused on... Um, focused on cultural inequalities, uh, gender norms, uh, and the role of women uh, in society, more broadly. But um, second wave feminism has been criticised as it focused mostly on the experiences of upper middle class white women. So what we see then is third wave feminism, which took place in the late 90s, is uh, seen by actually a broader continuation of second wave feminism, but also a reaction to the shortcomings of it. Um, third wave feminism focuses on women's lives as uh, being intersectional, demonstrating how race, ethnicity, class, religion, gender, and nationality—they are all significant factors that we should be considering when we are discussing feminism. And of course, it examines issues relating to women's lives on a more international basis. So, I guess third wave feminism, where intersectional feminism started um uh, I guess that's what we're kind of gonna be looking at today, but more pertinent, and what I should say is that we are now in the fourth wave of feminism, which I believe to be the current wave of feminism. I'm no aware of any fifth wave feminism. Waves yet if there are somebody please correct me i would love to find out but i didn't find any and i haven't heard of any so fourth wave feminism started in 2012 and fourth wave feminism is actually focused on the empowerment of all women again like third wave is centered around intersectionality but fourth wave feminism in particular is centered around women of color and trans women Um, And it also uses uh, the internet and social media as platforms to collaborate with other feminists, to mobilise action um, for feminist organisations around the world to collaborate. And uh, like I said, mobilise action. So for instance, mobilise action against abuses of power, whether that's in political office, whether that is assault, harassment, uh, the Me Too movement as well. And of of course, also for body autonomy. So that's a wee bit of the history of feminism, uh, how feminism is sort of kind of started in the West, the waves of feminism that we've seen, and contemporary feminism. But uh, I want to focus on the main topic of today, when, uh, which you will have seen from the title of the episode, of course, and that is intersectional feminism. Uh, feminism, like I said, of course, that's believing in equality for women. But what happens if you identify as a woman and you are a lesbian? Or you are a woman of colour. Or you are a woman who is disabled. Well, intersectionality answers that question. According to the dictionary, of course, intersectional feminism is a movement that recognises barriers to gender equality vary according to other aspects of a woman's identity, including age, race, ethnicity, class and religion, And intersectional feminism strives to address a diverse spectrum of women's issues, like trans women's issues. So, intersectional feminism is inclusive of all oppressed groups. It's feminism, but it's also feminism as well as race, religion, immigration status, gender identity, sexual orientation, and ability. It really is just feminism for all women. It's acknowledging that women will have different lived experiences based on the different intersections of their identity. Um, what's an example? Let me give you an example. Um, 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 um oh, um, a black woman uh, in the workplace, a black woman who uh, perhaps presents her natural hair in the workplace might be discriminated for that looking unprofessional um, by showing her natural hair, which a white woman in the office on the, the shop floor might not be or might not face or probably would not face. And that actually comes from, two things. That's a a twofold discrimination. First of all, it comes from policing a woman's appearance. And second of all, it comes from equating this sort of idea of professionalism and and the work environment with whiteness. Um, So that black woman in the workplace, she's, she's facing discrimination on two counts. A, because she's a woman, and B, because she's black. And in fact, intersexual feminism was actually coined by a black woman herself in 1989 by uh, the scholar Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, in her paper, which was demarginalising the intersection of race and sex. Uh, and she was actually looking to encapsulate her experience, both as a woman, but also as a member of the black community. And indeed, of course, this was born out of the critique of second wave feminism, because she argued that actually people and individuals hold multiple oppressions which intersect with each other to produce varied experiences of discrimination. So, again, a, a black, um, disabled trans woman will face different discrimination in society than a rich white lesbian. Both are women, but they will have different lived experiences of discrimination. And that is uh because of the intersections interlocking with each other in society. Now, when I was growing up, my mum used to say to me, don't stick your nose into something that's nothing to do with you. (laughs) Which I'm sure a lot of Scottish mums will have, as said at some point throughout their life. But actually, the matter of the fact is intersectional feminists do just that. Um, They care about things that, that don't affect them. They actually look beyond their identity to support the experiences of other women. Janet Mock, I think it was said in a Women's March speech that our approach to freedom need not be identical, but it must be intersectional and it must be inclusive. It must extend beyond ourselves. So if you believe in feminism and equality and equal rights for women, then you need to encapsulate the lesbians, the trans women, the women of colour, the disabled women, undocumented women, you name it, you need to encapsulate this in your definition of feminism. And in fact, Kimberly Crenshaw herself said that if you see equality as a them problem or as a, an unfortunate other problem, then that in itself is a problem. Um, so, intersexual feminism acknowledges how women's overlapping identities affect the way in which they experience oppression and discrimination, such as being a woman and being black and or a woman and being a lesbian. Do you, do you get what I mean? So that's intersectional feminism. But why is it important? Well, um, if we believe in equality for women and equal rights for women and the empowerment of women, then it is impossible to move forward in the feminist movement, uh, also in society, actually, not just the feminist movement, but also in society, without realising that it is underpinned by intersectionality. (laughs) Intersectionality. Yes, I'll say that again. Intersectionality. (laughs) Intersectionality. Can't even pronounce the title of my episode, what chance if you got? <laughs> but anyway, intersectionality is a reality that we all live on a daily basis. It's a literal fact of life. Um, everybody listening to the podcast right now has different intersections that make up their identity. Um, and that is a fact. That's how we all live our lives. So if that's a fact and that's real life, then you can't really just... You can't not apply that to feminism. You can't just expect us to have this one-size-fits-all feminism because it's not the case. Um, Feminism should not be a one-size-fits-all model. It's not what real life is like. We don't have the same identity and we don't have the same immutable characteristics. So in my opinion, it just doesn't work if you apply that to feminism. So failing to acknowledge intersectionality, in my opinion, as well, is misleading. It doesn't create um, an accurate picture of the lives that we live and the lives that women live. Um, Now, I want to take an example that is talked about a lot these days. Um, There's always room to talk about it more, of course, but it's talked about more than it ever has been. And that is the gender pay gap. Now, second wave feminists may have said at one point, "Okay, well, a woman earns... uh, 50 pence to a man's pound It may have been that at one point in time but that's that's mostly like second wave feminism i would say and i think now we've we've definitely moved beyond that i think intersectional feminists would say well a woman earns 50 pence to a man's pound but a black woman earns 40 pence to a man's pound and a hispanic woman earns 35 so they don't just use this one size fits all model of feminism they look at the different intersections behind it Now, I've done some digging as well into the gender pay gap here in the UK. Um, I thought I'd provide some statistics. So I looked into the Office for National Statistics, and their official figure... (laughs) Their official figure uh, for the gender pay gap right now in the UK is 17.3% based on the average hourly earnings of all workers full-time and part-time. So 17.3%. Absolutely shocking. Um, And that means that for every £100 that a man earns, a woman earns £82.70. However, like I said, leaving it as this sort of woman earns blanket as one size fits all that uh, we don't want to apply to feminism. It's not intersectional. So let's say that a a white woman, let's say she earns £82.70. So for every white woman in Britain that earns 82 pounds and 70 pence. A black woman on average will earn 80 pounds and 70 pence. And a Pakistani woman will earn 72 pounds and 90 pence, etc. So you get my gist. Um, Without acknowledging the different intersections like the systemic racism in society, then it's impossible to move forward and create solutions to problems like the gender pay gap intersectional feminism of course it's not a new term it's been around since the 80s but it's more important now than ever because we need it to solve contemporary issues for women and for society more broadly now because we like looking at things through an lgbtq plus lens here at the rampant rundown i want to briefly discuss intersectional feminism in relation to trans women so a lack of intersectionality in general, leads to an erasure of people's identities um, across the board, no matter what it is. But that is particularly true for trans women in relation to feminism. Now, you may have heard of the term TERF, T-E-R-F, Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists. And TERFs argue for the exclusion of trans women from women's spaces. Um, They are generally opposed to transgender rights, and uh, they don't believe that trans women are real women, Uh, because they argue that womanhood is based purely on biological sex, reproduction, and menstruation. And uh, TERFs use these arguments to discriminate against trans women, and argue that uh, actually they are undermining womanhood. It's absolutely disgusting, um, and it is baffling, because if you believe in the power of women, how can you treat other women in this way? Um... But in relation to intersectional feminism, remember what we said earlier, Janet Mock saying that our approach to freedom need not be identical, but it must be intersectional and inclusive. It must extend beyond ourselves. Now, nobody would try and argue that a cis woman and a trans woman live the same experiences. They have different life experiences, of course, different lived experience. But that does not mean that one cancels out the other. And in fact, it's actually quite the opposite because trans women enrich womanhood and they expand our understandings of gender and of the binary. Um, Both women, trans women and cis women experience the patriarchy, albeit in different ways, but they are both still women and they both experience uh, the, the patriarchal society that they live in. Now, remember Kimberly Crenshaw saying that if we see inequality as a them problem or as an unfortunate other problem, then that is a problem in itself. Terfs who fail to view feminism through an intersectional lens, in my opinion, like I said, they're defeating the purpose, which is really the empowerment of all women. Now, an example of this, which I'm sure you're aware of already and is a very unfortunate example, is, of course, J.K. Rowling and her awful transphobic rhetoric that she's been spouting now for some time. Um, So just like the example I gave earlier, J.K. Rowling has tweeted responding to a story about menstrual health which said, uh, uh, people who menstruate to be more inclusive And J.K. Rowland sarcastically called it out and wrote back to them, writing uh, that it should be women who menstruate, Um, which insinuating that trans women are are not women. So then this then, of course, led to another lot of tweets that were sort of highly dismissive of uh, transgender women and non-binary people uh, who experienced periods as well. And of course, since then, which I'm sure you're all aware of, she has... Uh, tweeted numerous transphobic things she's truly been awful and she's claiming that this is um justified under the banner of protecting women uh, and i say in protecting women in inverted commas because she's doing the exact opposite she's harming a lot of women she's harming trans women and she, in particular she's harming trans youth um especially trans youth who have looked up to her as a role model for her work on harry potter of course um she is causing damage but uh, most recently, believe it or not, she's also released a book with a serial killer who dresses as a woman to prey on his victims with strong hints of transphobia. Now, I haven't read the book and I have no intentions of reading the book or buying the book or supporting her works in the future, but that's just a glimpse, that's just an example of this: the lack of intersectional feminism and the damage that that can do. So, besides the point, J.K. Rowland, she identifies herself as a feminist, believe it or not, and um, But in my opinion, if so, then that is much more akin to second wave feminism, which focuses on rich, white, middle, upper class women, or indeed women who fit your mold of intersectionality. You don't look beyond yourself or your experience of feminism, but you sort of try and mold that around other people, and it lacks intersectionality. Um, So her failure to include trans women in the definition of feminism, like many other TERFs, excludes, in my opinion, the point of feminism which is to empower all women so that's an example of why intersectional feminism is so important is because we need it we needed to move forward as a movement and continue to empower all women not just those who fit your bill or your views of what a woman should be or who a woman should be or what feminism is um and as crenshaw said our feminism must extend beyond ourselves um so terfs do not do that and uh they need to be reminded all the time and should be reminded that trans women are women and trans rights are human rights. That's it. It is no that hard. I don't know what they kind of get around their head. Anyways, that is why intersectional feminism is so important. Um, In my opinion, of course, feminine, intersectional feminism it is the only true form of feminism. It's inclusive. It acknowledges privilege and it works towards the emancipation of all women irrespective of their identity and uh, i think that's a good point to finish there and move on to section two of the episode and uh, speak to this week's very special guest and amplify her voice on the matter okay now so moving on to section two of the episode and it is my pleasure to welcome our very special guest of this week she is the Gender Equality Officer at the SRC at the University of Glasgow and fellow feminist. It's Julia Higley. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, darling. How are you doing today?
1: I'm brilliant. How are yourself?
0: I'm good. Thank you very much. I'm doing good. I'm just, uh, just anticipating the second lockdown coming now and just trying to stay busy and, mm-hmm. and doing as much as I can, I guess, being productive. Yes, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, wonderful to have you here with us today, darling. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, so let's get started then. As I mentioned, you are at the Gender Equality Officer at the, the SRC. That's really exciting. Uh, but can you tell us then a little bit about your role and uh, what you're involved in and what your day-to-day looks like?
1: Completely. So uh, I sit on the welfare side of the SRC and first and foremost, I'm just an elected voice for the students. So Mm -hmm. I sit on on monthly matters that are brought forward to our council proceedings. I usually lean towards discussions on College of Arts, which is where I hang out uh, when I'm not doing gender equality things or (laughs) um, student experience related matters. But I see my actual job as gender equality officer sort of as a liaison. So I try and pass on any opportunities that get passed to the SRC for appropriate societies. Um, I try and lead promotional outreach for education on gender, uh, sex positivity, mm. all those things. Um, it's, it's really answering a lot of emails and delegating information towards uh, respective channels. But mm. honestly, that's really what you make of it, I think, with all the welfare positions. And I'm really, really proud of where it's gotten. It's a really rewarding position.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine. It's really exciting. I actually, I hadn't, because I was a student at the University of Glasgow myself, and I hadn't um, heard of the role as such. So how did you get involved in that? Sorry, did you, were you elected by the students, did you say, yeah?
1: Yeah, but I I found it by being an SRC Freshers Helper. I I just sort of fell into it because my flatmates all did it, but yeah. um, After I I finished freshers helping, I remember uh, the last president, Scott, and Tom himself was like, oh, you should give looking, you should look into running for council. And I was like, there's one that I'm interested in. Um, And and, uh, almost a year later, and I've been able to run so many cool programs and meet so many amazing people all throughout the greater Glasgow sector. It's honestly been probably the best decision of my uni career. Absolute blast. I can't recommend running for council enough.
0: Oh, I love that. That's really positive and really exciting. I, you kind of make me jealous. I kind of wish I had did that now when I was at university. <laughs> uh, but uh, in section one then of the episode, I gave some information about uh, and some details about intersectional feminism and uh, why we really need to look at feminism through an intersectional lens. So I just want to hear your opinion on that. What's uh, What would your definition of intersectional feminism be? And uh, why do you think that's important?
1: I think that there's there's a lot of like theoretical big ways to define it but for me uh intersectional feminism is just the easy route uh the mental gymnastics it takes to exclude a demographic from a movement centered around social justice doesn't it's far too draining I couldn't do it so for yeah. me like feminism by definition is forever so intersectional feminism is the acceptance of all people into the into into the concept it's a fight against the mm-hmm. patriarchy for the betterment and equality of all people. That's women of all colors, all creeds, all classes, um, men, non-binary people. It's, we've all been under the thumb of like gendered nonsense and it's caused death and violence and oppression and discomfort for everyone. So the Mm -hmm. easy route is just to welcome all people into the fold because the second you understand that and understand that hard parts of radicalization sort of slip away and you see that the movement and all social justice movements are really just about caring for each other. And yeah. it's easy to do that if you don't block certain
0: people out. Yeah, I think that's also a really simple and a good way of looking at it, because if you are a feminist, at the heart of it, you care about women, you care about other people. So why would you want to exclude uh, certain facets of, of of women? Or Yeah, it, it doesn't make much sense to me. And I have heard some people argue that the, the only real sort of definition or the only real branch of feminism is intersectional feminism because the only way that you can be a feminist is by advocating for all women. Um, so I know there's a, a school of thought out there about that for sure. Um but yeah so in your opinion you think it's important because we don't want to exclude uh, certain facets of, of women from the from the definition, yeah.
1: Completely completely there's there's so many different types of struggle and I think that understanding and validating all of those is the first step towards understanding that we're all in this together. Yeah. Because of, of course, culture will have a different impact on like how the patriarchy functions like even from the US to the UK, like I've experienced a huge culture shock and how I'm treated as a woman, but like Understanding that and being accepting of people's differences and people's mm-hmm. learning when it comes to when it comes to like progressivism or um, radical ideology, it's 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 all of us working together as a whole. So the second mm-hmm. you start pushing people back because you think they're not worthy of equality, you're, dis- you're disenfranchising the movement. It just doesn't make any sense, especially yeah. when it's feminism, which is such a like a blanket, all-encompassing thing. Um, it, it's, it's it's difficult to seem almost elitist or ac- like like an academic when you say, "No, my feminism is intersectional." But mm-hmm. like like I'm saying like it's just it's the easy route because the blanket has to cover everyone. You can't leave mm-hmm. anyone out in the cold.
0: Yeah, and while we talk about feminism then as this sort of, uh, this grand term or this sort of blanket term um, intersectional feminism, feminism of course isn't the same the world over so should we be considering uh, an international orientation to gendered issues when we're talking about this should we be looking at it through an international lens as such?
1: I think absolutely um, I do think that there is a bit of a danger there, especially with um, feminism in the UK and the US, because there's an alarming trend where people here believe that feminism practiced in your region is the only correct feminism, and people or women across the world might need rescuing or saving, or it's our job to speak to their issues. For example, being pro-choice, but thinking that a woman wearing a hijab is insulting progress, or um, not being uh, like uh, not standing in solidarity with sex workers, or saying, oh, I'm a feminist, but I, I I think that maybe women who have children shouldn't really fit into the movement. Um, I think that there's a really good example um, of, I, I don't think that women, especially white women in, in, in Scotland, for example, should maybe hold exclusive seminars on, for, let's say, feminist femicide in Mexico or um, issues in the Middle East when it comes to feminism, because... We don't really think critically about the background of what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. and it it keeps up this ideal of, especially in this day and age, Western superiority, and it delineates that some women have more say over others, and that's not really the case. Instead, and this is the running theme for sort of my, my, my take on feminism, is we should be listening and learning when it comes to international feminism. Care for the issues that affect women in your community, because when you project your issues onto other parts of the world, you silence the voices that are already working there. So, yeah. don't hold the PowerPoint on on um, international issues. Donate, uh, learn about their issues, tell your friends, um, share information, highlight the voices of the women that are already there. Because discovering a new source of oppression doesn't mean that you've discovered it. It means that you're probably the first person in your group of friends that has but there are yeah. people in these places that have not stopped fighting for justice for mm-hmm. for decades and centuries so mm-hmm. fill your own cup and then use that surplus of resources to help people across the world but don't, don't speak over voices that are already
0: working. Yeah of course I think actually from memory from an example that I can give um, was I attended a it was a conference or was it a committee or a it was I think it was a committee meeting um mm-hmm. it was during my internship it was at the European Parliament and it was um, a panel of Indigenous women who were talking about the effects of climate change and their view of feminism and it was just through a completely different lens that I hadn't really considered as such and it really mm-hmm. opened my eyes and I think it is really important that we should be taking an, an international view of these issues and like you said, not speaking over voices, but letting <laughs> let people tell their own story and, and, and amplifying that uh, where necessary. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, but that's a, as a sort of um, a, international view then. So on a more individual basis, um, particularly for those who maybe don't identify as women, but they do identify as a feminist. In your opinion, how can we be productive allies and what is the best way to be an ally uh, uh, to women?
1: I think I think in this day and age, probably the best thing that you can do is be able to call yourself out and don't be afraid of being wrong when mm-hmm. it comes to speaking in feminist discourse. Because the instinct to like self-flagellate and to deny like complicity in larger systems of oppression mm-hmm. or to put your struggles onto other people's that's a that's a that's a big one. Um, it, it's it's so much easier to do those things than to sit back and sort of listen and understand that maybe. If you, if you won't be able to understand these how this sort of oppression specifically feels but you can be there for them on a, on a personal or a, um electoral level so listen <laughs> and, um like believe women include women in work that you're doing or in in um like conversations or even in just how you think about the world day to day um yeah actively examine yourself for bias as well that's 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 a big one i do that daily but mm-hmm. um which, which is not like a flex of my, my, mm-hmm. my cultural awareness. It's it's um, I think understanding that like we're all in this movement together and trying to examine how the patriarchy as as someone who mm-hmm. might not identify as a female,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but who still is very impacted by how the patriarchy functions in our world. Try and sort out specifically how it's hit you and mm-hmm. find your niche in the movement, whether that's um, like how how it impacts how um, men show emotion, how disenfranchising it is to have a gender binary in the first place, um, mm-hmm. just make it so that you aren't just supporting, but you're actively working towards um, towards a more equitable future because it impacts all of us. So yeah. the we all start moving in unison. The sooner we can see some nice change.
0: Yeah, of course, I, I completely agree. So then, in your opinion, youth, I think it's. Uh we should be holding ourselves accountable and uh holding ourselves to the standard and challenging our own language as well and um, but how do we go further how do we actually start to sort of unlearn our societal biases that have been ingrained in us um mm-hmm. since forever yeah. now yeah
1: forever. That's honestly how long and <laughs> it's, it's it's mad this summer has been such an upheaval and i think that this is now a really good time to start talking about that Yeah. unlearning um, biases i'd say that sort of just question systems of oppression around you even if they've made you comfortable in the past mm-hmm. like i'm uh, a, a bisexual woman who's of like jewish descent but mm-hmm. i'm also white i'm uh, like straight passing and cisgendered and i come from a economically like decent background i'm getting a higher education so yeah. but, but my comfort can't come at the expense of someone else's suffering so we disenfranchise women daily but black women fat women queer women women of all different um, creeds and colors are subjected to far more rigorous examination through this microscope that we've had like glued onto our eyes forever to the point that we don't see that those systems of oppressions can be lifted. So to remove that, we need to daily daily examine how we like view the world and that takes reading and talking and it's not fun so you, you can't wake up as a perfect progressive or a perfect feminist and thinking that you're done i think this is a big one thinking that you're suddenly an expert on gendered issues or inequalities is is such wishful thinking because single mm-hmm. day you can grow and you can empathize so for, for me i don't know the trick is sort of not to view that as this mountain that you have to climb think of yourself as like a, a little seed like a nice little seed mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because you're not, you're not done growing once you once you bust through the soil you have yeah. to provide yourself with maintenance and health and good conditions and upkeep. And only if you keep growing, can you provide justice? So mm-hmm. it's, it's about letting yourself grow and not slamming yourself for getting something wrong or, mm-hmm. or not knowing something because all of us are, are still learning. Like it's, it's giving yourself a little bit of grace and understanding that learning gives you dignity and dig- dignity is going to give you justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah that's lovely know, i love
0: that i think that's really good. <laughs> i love the the seed analogy as opposed to a mountain i i think that's really good i might steal that from you <laughs> and use that in future That's That's good. taking notes um no i love that i completely agree and i think as well perhaps when when we stop listening or when we shut down or when we think we are learned enough or we are enough woke as the term mm-hmm. is these days then it, you sort of stop to cease to be an ally because you've already got to where you're comfortable and I think as allies we should be going to places where we're uncomfortable and actively working to sort of unpick what we what we've been born into what we've learned what society has taught us Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that's my opinion on the on the like Uh, discomfort
1: is so important yeah it's just
0: a growing process of course and I think we we we're all learning every day even the people who are like right at the top are are still (laughs) learning and and stuff like this and I think we learn from each other and everyone's experiences as well. We don't really stop learning, uh, I don't think at least. Um, Not at all. <laughs> but anyway, we've been talking then about uh, feminism, intersectional feminism, through an international lens and indeed it's an individual commitment for ourselves to hold ourselves accountable and to unpack our societal biases. But uh, of course, as we know, feminism can also be community-based. Um, and i've worked with some some great grassroots organizations in the past, and i 've seen the the great work that they 're doing like on the ground every day um in their local communities and sectors so then, in your opinion as well because you said you've worked with the greater glasgow sector um what is the the real power of grassroots feminist organizations? Mm-hmm.
1: So I think when it comes to any social justice movement, people empowering themselves and each other is a really inspirational sight, like not having to go to an icon or a politician to to lead you somewhere, but working together as a community. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to feminism, women have been removed from systems of power, I mean, since the Dark Ages. Like, we literally existed in separate spheres, not only from politics and and governance, but from each other. Mm -hmm. So being able to see how... Like throughout history, we've rocketed toward this point of collaborative work and, mm-hmm. like, ending cruelty and free and and reveling in freedom of existence together, um, without these dominant powers being able to, to to split us apart or lead us. So, mm-hmm. when it comes to forming organizations, there are really like sinister powers of like finance and political clout and advertisement, all of which are like highly expensive and kind of gross capitalist requirements for getting your message out there. So grassroots organizations return that power to the people, which mm-hmm. I'm really, really big fan of when it comes to like history, historical context and how women have been oppressed through the years. Um, because not only do you create and, and fund a project or an institution or even just an idea, but in in a grassroots organization, you become part of that charter, yeah. uh, you, you, you get to claim something. And I think that that reclamation is really, really vital. Mm-hmm. Um, saying like, having ownership over anything in uh, the world that we live in is really really hard and it's painful but being able to work communicatively with other women to ensure rights for all and like Mm -hmm. trying to foster positive change that's that's really really inspirational and you see that i think exclusively in grassroots organizations um it's it's a really personal experience when when you get to work either like here or abroad when it Mm comes to um, yeah just expanding the conversation and getting to meet people and friends and have new ideas and build your life through that organization it's really really beautiful
0: yeah of course and of course it's a, a platform to learn as well you are learning from uh, other people other women other feminists who are going to be sharing their experiences um and i think it's a great way to grow as an ally of course but uh, uh, as a feminist uh, in particular and um, so i know you said you've been working in the glasgow sphere do you off the top of your head, could you give us some names of some uh, grassroots organizations that we could become involved in? We will be mentioning more in section three of the episode, but uh, if you have some that you'd like to share now, I'd love to hear.
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm always going to pitch the Ubuntu uh, Women's Shelter because they do really mm-hmm. incredible for refugee women coming to the city um, they're really accessible on Instagram. They run donation pledges almost weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that you can give or spare or just promote would be really, really, really impactful. That's a phenomenal organization. And like throughout the events of the past few years, they've really blossomed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also always going to pitch the Rosie Project, which is the um, uh, sexual assault Research resource center out of Glasgow Clyde Rape Crisis um, for uh, younger Uh, people who have been victimized by sexual assault. They're Mm -hmm. working with us on um, implementing on-campus sexual assault resource centers, but their work is absolutely astounding and is totally invaluable to the city. Um, And the Glasgow Clyde Clyde Rape Crisis Center in general um, cannot hype them enough. They do such incredible outreach. Mm -hmm. Um, So if anyone's interested in looking at how universities are tackling issues of gender-based violence and sexual assault, uh, Glasgow Caledonian's Erase the Grey campaign is something to look into. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a charity, but the work that they do is really, really incredible when it comes to like destigmatizing uh, what campus sexual assault can be and mm-hmm. signposting. Um, so anyone in that area of the city, if you're interested in getting a foothold onto a really, really cool program, um, they're still very much building up, so give them a little follow or a glance. We, we love cross-campus interaction.
0: <laughs> I love that. Um, and uh, t- just another quick question as well, just before we come to the end. Uh, do you think then that universities by... Do you think universities are doing enough to tackle this and uh, to deal with gender issues? Or do you think there's room for improvement or we could be doing some more?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'll always say that there's more, to, more, more, more to be done. Um, you see, really astounding examples: uh, the Fearless campaign out of Edinburgh, the Got um, Consent campaign out of St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. All of those are led by student bodies. They're not okay. based out of like the hierarchy of the
0: university. And we oh, have that's in- interesting, isn't it? That's quite yeah. strange.
1: And um, even like upcoming signposting campaigns that we're doing are cross-campus between the unions. Um, yeah. And the uni- he does a lot for, um, like, gender equality when it comes to academia, when it comes to, um, like, lecture profiling, when it comes to education. Mm-hmm. he doing a little bit more, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that there is a bit of a gap. I think that they could put more effort into supporting students because, I mean, there, there's no there's no excuse for not being able to support students who have undergone gender-based violence or sexual assault on or off campus um i think that it's sort of like the go-to easy thing is to without a doubt support your students um, when it comes to legal repercussions when it comes to um societal repercussions whether that comes to like terms of expulsion for um their their abuser Mm -hmm. i i don't know there's the universities hold so much power they have so much capital and Unions can only do so much. I think that universities as a whole across the world, whether that's in the US, the UK, France, Germany, um, Mm -hmm. any other country, I think that there's always going to be more that they can do. Like, I love this university, but I I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a, it still has, it still has room to move. It still has time to grow. And like, Mm -hmm. we don't really have time. We're here for four years. We need the best student experience possible. And we need to make sure that our students are safe. Like, it mm-hmm. comes down to more than just making sure that they're physically safe, but when it comes to caring for them and inspiring growth and letting them thrive, like all of that comes when you dispel gender-based violence. And yes, we have good safety apps and um, better surveillance on campus, but that's that. I think that's enough. I think it comes down to something that's really, really base in understanding that uh, like oppression exists and I, I don't know how a university can help solve that. But yeah. I mean, if you have the financial resources, just, um, there, you, you can do a little bit if you've got the money is, is all I'm going to say on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. It always comes back to money. Doesn't
1: it? <laughs> oh, so unfortunate. Like, what- <laughs> exist peacefully
0: and nicely yeah well let's just think of the university as a seed as well it still needs nourishment and growth as well room to improve for sure absolutely and it's on the right track and that's what matters yeah okay well i think that's a lovely place to stop there then julia um it's been a pleasure to speak to you today thank you very much for uh joining me on this episode it's been a pleasure been an absolute pleasure on my end this has been so much fun <laughs> <laughs> that's great well thank you very much uh we will now be moving on to section three of the episode uh where i'll be saying posting you towards feminist organizations charities and local grassroots projects that you can become involved in in scotland right now so for Have now seen. julia it's bye thank you very much bye <laughs> Okay, so moving on now to section three of the episode, and before I signpost you, I want to quickly recap the discussion so far. As we've heard, intersectional feminism acknowledges how women's overlapping identities, such as race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, ability, physical appearance and class, affect the ways in which they experience oppression and indeed discrimination. And I think it's important because intersectionality is a fact of life. So acknowledging that it also applies to feminism will also help the movement move forward by continuing to empower all women, irrespective of their identity. And in my opinion, it is the truest form of feminism. So then, how can we be intersectional feminists and what can we do to ensure that feminism is more intersectional? Well, I've got five key pointers here. Number one, we can start by recognizing our own privileges. Whether we know it or not, we all have privileges right now. There is male privilege, able-bodied privilege, class privilege, cisgender privilege. They're just a few. So let's recognize these and consider where it might actually be creating a blind spot on our feminism. That uh, we fail to see. So, taking up the difficult work of actually investigating our own privilege and looking into our own pl- privilege is actually key to intersectional feminism. Number two, listen to those from oppressed groups. Listen, learn, and uh, try to unlearn our societal biases. Number three, take responsibility for your own education. This can be through books, reading about experiences of other women, watching videos uh reading activist social media posts tuning into podcasts podcasts oh like the rapid (laughs) rundown you name it number four you can support the works created by women by their books by their art by their music donate to their gofundmes number five and this is also important i think is um be willing to make mistakes There's no room for perfectionism in activism and indeed in feminism. It's not all or nothing. It's more about being committed and indeed an ongoing commitment to the feminist cause. And it can be hard sometimes not to get defensive, but it is okay to make mistakes. We are all human. We are allowed to make mistakes. (laughs) It's in our nature. But it's about learning and it's about growing and it's about trying not to let these mistakes consume you or to make the same mistakes again so that's how i think we can all be a bit more intersectional in our feminism but uh also uh now i can move on to signposting some wonderful services and charities that you can support right now here in scotland and in the uk um one that actually our guest Julia mentioned of this week was the Rosie Project. And the Rosie Project is the support and prevention programme for young people at Glasgow Rape Crisis, providing support and education to young people aged 13 to 25. So if you require any assistance or help from them, you can get in touch with their helpline by calling it 080 0000. 0014, or visit their website www.rosyproject.co.uk. Next is Glasgow Women's Aid. And Glasgow Women's Aid has been supporting women, children and young people who are experiencing domestic abuse now for over 35 years. Um, They have information about police reporting, refuge accommodation and uh, there is the possibility to donate to them on their website which is aid.org.uk or indeed you can call them directly as well on 0141 553 2022. If you are not from or around the Glasgow area, then of course you can just contact Scottish Women's Aid and they can uh, signpost you towards the closest Women's Aid to you. They're actually based in Edinburgh, I believe, and of course they have a website as well, womensaid.scot or you can call them on 0800 027 1234. They're well with the possibility to donate and get involved as well, so check them out please. Next is the Ubuntu Women's Shelter and that is actually a Glasgow-based charity dedicated to meeting uh, short-term, sort of 72 hours to one week, emergency accommodation needs of women with no recourse to any sort of public funds uh, or any public funds coming into the shelter. Now they are From their website and uh, the details that I've seen about them online, they seem to be absolutely fabulous. They are intersectional and they welcome uh, all women, irrespective of their immigration status, their gender, their religion, whether they're sex workers or not. And their services include uh, hosting, referrals and advocacy that are designed to meet the unique emotional and psychological needs of women excluded from homelessness and welfare services and housing as well. So they have a phone number for emergency housing or accommodation, which is 07570 877 Or for general information, of course, you can just call their general number on 07543 491900. They also have a website as well. I've been to Women's Shelter. Check them out. They also have... a. Uh, an exit button on the bottom left-hand corner of their screen so you can exit quickly if need be, um, which was a a great feature to the website, I thought. There's also the Glasgow Women's Library. They are the only resource of its kind in Scotland and a true national treasure. They support thousands of women across Scotland every year to improve their lives through their services and programmes, including support and activities uh, that tackle a wide range of issues from poverty, to women's health, to sexuality, to surviving violence. Visit their website now, please, at womenslibrary.org.uk. They are based in Glasgow, and you can call them on 0141 550 2267 if you want to visit and um, there's also a facebook page actually which i found which uh is quite good and that is the glasgow feminist collective which actually aims to provide a forum to link up various feminists and other women's liberation groups across scotland in order to discuss and coordinate workshops talks demonstrations and rallies about women's issues in scotland i think that's really unique and really fabulous actually and the reason i'd I say that as well is remember i mentioned second wave not second wave, sorry, fourth wave feminism. What is actually um, is using social media as a tool to mobilize and uh, allow other organizations to collaborate. So Glasgow Feminist Collective on Facebook is a prime example of that of fourth wave feminism. They are non-party and cross-party collective, and they aim to be as open and as broad as possible and welcome and encourage participation and input from other feminist groups and feminist individuals. This page is actually found because it lists lots of feminist organisations. There's loads on it. You can go and find them. Go and check it out. Glasgow Feminist Collective on uh, Facebook. There's also Engender, E-N-Gender, and Engender is Scotland's feminist policy and advocacy organisation. Engender has a vision for Scotland in which women and men have equal opportunities in life, equal access to resources and to power, and are equally safe and secure from harm. You can get in contact with them via info at engender.org.uk or visit their website www.engender.org.uk forward slash content um and next actually one of my favorite charities i must say is mermaids mermaids uk um and they support trans and gender diverse children young people and their families they are one of the uk's leading lgbtq plus charities right now and they're empowering people um they are empowering people online in local communities but they also provide information for uh, other organizations and other professionals they're truly fabulous They have helpline services, web resources, events, you name it. Check them out now please at mermaidsuk.org.uk and please, please donate to them if you can. I've been thinking of fundraising for them actually and working up to do like a big run next year, next spring when the better weather comes in uh, and donating the funds to them. But I'm a little bit scared. For, for doing the big run, of course. But I'm kind of happy I've said that now because that means, like, I feel, I've not vocalised it, so now that I'm vocalising it, I feel like I'm going to have to hold myself accountable and do it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was Mermaids UK. Another grassroots organisation that I've worked with, absolutely brilliant, is Wonder Woman. Uh, They're actually based in Amsterdam, and that's where I have my drag roots. (laughs) So, Wonder Women, they're fabulous. They're a grassroots intersectional feminist organisation. So, if any of my Dutchies are listening, please go and check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Their user handle is Wonder underscore please go and check them out. They are wonderful. Of course, we will be posting all of the services and charities that I've just mentioned above to our Instagram page at the Rampant Rundown. If you want to check them out at a later date, they will be posted there. If you want to make us aware of any other feminist organisations or charities that you think deserve a shout-out or some support, please let us know at The Rampant Rundown on Instagram or you can email us TheRampantRundown at Outlook.com Of course, you know who I am. My name is Lady rampant at the queen with red hair like i said at the start of the episode so you can send me a message as well on social media find me send my wee message let's have a chat i love to gab as i always say but unfortunately that now brings us to the close of this week's episode and i want to say a big thank you so much to julia for joining me this week it was my pleasure to have you and uh, my pleasure to get to work with you julia i hope to do so in the future when miss rona coronavirus buggers off. But in relation to intersectional feminism, I think we still live in a very patriarchal society, and there's a lot of work that's still got to be done for uh, the fight for women's equality, and indeed all women's equality, whether that be black women, trans women, disabled women, you name it. But uh, by taking an intersectional view of feminism, by including all women, and by rooting for their emancipation, then I think that is making steps in the right direction. And that is why we should all be intersectional feminists, because it's how we're going to move forward as a movement, it's how we're going to grow, it's how we're going to learn, uh, not just as a movement, but also as society more broadly. So I think that's a good place to stop there. Let's finish with our motto here at the Rundown, and that is carve your aim path, Dance to your ancient and make your own magic. So until episode six next week, it's bye for now. Bye!